Amen. I feel the presence of the Lord in this place this morning. Amen. If you came in this place needing a change in your life, if you're here this morning and you're just sick and tired of the world and you need something different, if you need a, a physical touch or spiritual or mental healing in your body, I've got good news for you this morning. Amen. Because that same Jesus that Pastor and Dr. Shostran was just telling us about is here in this place right now. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is in this place right now. Amen. Praise God. And whatever we need is in that name of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. I, I'm so thankful to be here this morning. I, I give honor uh, to the show strands for having us and just um, we're just so thankful for this church and for them and for their friendship their kindness uh, you have truly ministered to me and my family and I want to thank you for all the dinners and all the prayers all the kind remarks you were just a wonderful truly apostolic church and I thank you for that amen praise God if you have your Bibles this morning I feel led of the Lord uh, we will be looking in the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Amen. Thankful to have my dear wife here, Brianna, this morning. And my son, Joseph. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. There, there's supposed to be a, a football game today, so I hear. And uh, I could not help but notice in my, uh, my phone reading the news like I do, uh, they mentioned yesterday that so many people are going to watch this football game and they've prepared for this. And uh, what surprised me, Brother Post, was they said there's going to be $2.7 billion that is put into this game. People spending money to watch it and buy tickets and... Uh, I've never attended one of those Super Bowls, but from my understanding, last I checked, it's not free to go. And the more that you're willing to pay, the closer you get to the scene. Everyone wants to get close to these football players and to the field, so they're willing to pay all these thousands upon thousands of dollars just to get to this 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 football player and this game that does not even guarantee you a victory but i've got good news for you this morning because that god that we were just talking about the creator of heaven and earth does not charge us a dime for his presence whether you're sitting at the front or in the back his presence is just as powerful and just as tangible as it has ever been amen praise god and we have access to that presence this morning Amen. Praise God. Genesis 25, and we'll start with verse 24. The Bible says, When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his, his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. Speaking of Rachel. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. 
and Isaac loved Esau. Verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh, I like this verse particularly because it gives us a reason why Isaac loves Esau. It says because he can provide for him this venison. Because he's able to do certain things uh, for him. That's why he loves him. But the Bible does not give us any indication why Rebecca loves Jacob. It just simply says she loved him. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I may not give God any good reasons to love me. But I'm thankful for that unconditional love. No matter what I do, he still loves me. Amen. Praise God. Verse 29, And Jacob saw pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. Can everyone say faint? Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage again, for I am faint, I am weary. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. If that's how you truly feel, then sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? I don't feel like I can go any longer. I feel like this is the end. What profit is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Verse 34, Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau traded something that would have lasted an eternity for something that only lasted for a few moments. And I want to preach to you this morning with the help of the Lord, trading the eternal for the temporal. Trading eternal things for temporary things. Praise God. If we can just lay our Bibles down, lift up our hands and voices unto the Lord right now. God, we love you, Jesus. I thank you for your word. I ask that you would let it break us, let it shape us, and let it mold us, God. That you would have your perfect will in this house, God. That you would pour out your spirit upon all flesh this morning before we leave this place, God. That we will see a mighty outpouring, God, of your spirit in this house. And you will begin to minister in this place. And you will restore, and you will heal, and you will mend everything, God, that is broken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. It is one of the most difficult and enduring attacks that we all face. Every one of us. Every day of our lives. From the moment our eyes awaken to the bright of day. Until the moment our eyes close in the dark of night. Every one of us in this place are in a never-ending battle between the carnal and the spiritual. We are all uh, fighting, if you will, between the eternal and the temporal. Uh, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, To love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, watch this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, 
but it is of the world. That lust and that pride that you are struggling with is not from God. He goes on to say, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The Bible also tells us in the book of John that the thief, thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. But in the same breath Jesus said that he has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Can I tell you here this morning that if you're going to be a Christian and live for God, it is not the will of God that you live for Him struggling every day of your life. But He said even now in this world and in this time, you can live life abundantly. You don't have to wait till you get to the other side. You don't have to wait till you get the seashores of peace. But you can experience an abundant life right now. You can have victory in this house Today, you don't have to live your life eking through this thing. You don't have to feel like you've got one foot in the grave every day of your life. But if you're in the will of God and you trust Him and you have a relationship with God, you can have an abundant life. I grew up in, in church. I grew up with this false connotation that if I'm going to live for God, I'm going to have to struggle. We had this one woman in church, and I love her to death. But every time she was there, she would, she would, they'd do the open prayer request. And, and she was always complaining about this and complaining about that. Until this day, when we go back to my church, you can ask my wife. She's doing the same old things. She never praises the Lord about anything. Just complaining and complaining. And I sat there, my God, if this woman is living for God and it's this tough, how can I do it? But we can have victory in this life today. And Satan's greatest deception is to cause us to turn away from that abundant life and to embrace the temporary gratifications of this world. Satan's ultimate ambition, church, is for you to trade your eternal salvation for the temporary pleasures of this world. So I don't believe it's arbitrary. I don't think it's accidental that we find this deception we find this motive at the very beginning of the whole thing. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He created man. He created woman. He placed them in the Garden of Eden. He had a relationship with them. He would walk with them in the cool of the day. They had a relationship with God in this perfect place. But in the book of Genesis, in chapter 2 and verse 16, we have the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, and thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. From the beginning of time, he says, you can have all this liberty and all this freedom, but there is one thing I want you to refrain from. And it was not until that very next chapter... The chapter 3 of the whole Bible, the serpent comes onto the scene and says the woman, he says, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden, asking her. And the, uh, Eve's reply says, uh, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it lest ye die. And watch this in verse 4. The serpent says, Ye shall not surely die. Yeah. 
Here it is. Here's the deception. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you shall be as God's. He says, God does not want you to eat of that forbidden fruit because He knows then you will be like Him. You will not have to be in subjection to Him. You will not be inferior to Him. But you will be like a God yourself. He deceived Eve by thinking that God was not trying to protect her, but that God was trying to control her. These principles that God has placed in our lives, this word that He has given us, standards and principles, they're not in our lives to control us. They're here to protect us. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And in verse 6, here it is, watch this. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, Pastor, I don't know how long they were in the garden. Church, I cannot tell you how many times they walked past that tree. But it was not until after her conversation with the enemy. Does the Bible says that she saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. In that one verse you find the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It was not until after her conversation with the adversary was she willing to trade the eternal for the temporal so what are you trying to say I'm telling you you need to be careful to what voices you let speak into your lives you need to be careful to who you let influence you in your life I don't doubt that you hear a voice but you need to double check yourself and pray a little bit and make sure that it's the voice of God that you're hearing it was not until after her conversation with the enemy with one bite she traded her eternal relationship she traded paradise for something that only lasted for a few moments they traded the eternal for the temporal. Can I tell you, church, we must be careful with what we let our mind and our eyes dwell upon because the eyes are the gates to the soul. The Bible says in Matthew that the light of the body is the eye. If thy eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. The eye is the lamp of the body. Psychologists have even verified that 90% of our thought life is stimulated by what we see. In other words, what you let your eyes dwell upon is simply what you will eventually become. I'm not preaching against temptation this morning, church. Temptation is not a sin. The Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus Christ was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. But it's when you begin to flirt with that temptation and that temptation turns into lust. That lust is what gives birth to sin. King David a man called after God's own heart he stood on that rooftop and he saw Bathsheba bathing. He should have turned around and went back inside but he was so captivated by what he saw and that temptation turned into lust and that lust turned into adultery and eventually murder. Samson had to lose his eyes to begin to see clearer. 
we got to be careful, church, with what we let our eyes focus on. I picture Lot's wife, Pastor. I picture Lot and his family. I see God's mercy extended to them. I see God's grace showered upon them. When he sent the angels because of the intercession of Abraham into Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible tells us later in the New Testament when Jesus says, Remember Lot's wife. There's a principle in this. Because when the angels pulled them out, out of that sin when he pulled them out of a world of debauchery and evil and wickedness they said don't look back on what we're pulling you out of and Lot's wife I see this woman running away from the fire and the brimstone she could probably hear the wailing and the gnashing of teeth in the background but because she was so captivated by sin she was so wrapped up in the sin and the pleasures of this world she said what's one more look going to hurt what's one more second in this world going to hurt what's one more bite going to hurt and we learned in that story that once sometimes one more is too much there will become a day, church, when one more will be too much. Uh, Satan will dangle this forbidden fruit over your heads every day of your lives. Uh, seeking this temporary gratification. Saying, here you go. I'll give you everything your flesh could ever desire right now. But I tell you this morning that you must never make a deal with the enemy. Because what Satan gives you, he will always take something back. Uh, one day he's going to come knocking at your door and he's going to tell you I forgot to mention this part but that sin you've been dwelling in that pleasure that lust that you've been living in I forgot to tell you that it was going to cost you something oh praise God Lord help us and the Bible tells us that Esau was coming out of the field and he was faint I think this is important he was weary he was tired he was exhausted, as we all are. But he felt something. He says, I'm at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? Can I tell you, it's, I don't believe it's ever the will of God for us to get to the point where we don't feel like this, we can go any further. We are going to experience valleys. We're going to experience hardships, as you all know. But it's not the will of God for you to feel like this is the end. That is a lie from the enemy. And because he felt that he was not going to live another day, he didn't feel that he could wait another moment. He traded something that had eternal value for a pot of stew that lasted for only a few moments. He was looking for strength in all the wrong places. He found his strength in that pot of stew. And Satan will tell you, well, if you're so exhausted, if you're so weary, and God has not answered your prayers yet, you have not experienced that miracle yet, why don't you go look for your strength back into the world? Why don't you go back into the world of sin and drugs and addiction that you once fell in? He's going to dangle it over his church. Uh, he was looking for strength in the wrong places. It's a tragedy when our hearts walk after the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Esau lost his birthright. Watch this, because his God was his flesh. 
Well, I don't have a glutton problem like Esau did. Well, anything that you're willing to put before God is your God. Anything you're you're willing to let stand between you and your relationship with Him is your God. Is your God. But as I said, church, uh, I don't believe that it's the will of God for us to become so faint, uh, so weary that we feel like it's the end. Uh, That is a lie from the enemy. And some of you are here this morning. You struggle to make it to church. Uh, You've struggled because you were wondering if you should stay at home. You're wondering if you should just quit going to church altogether. You've been wondering if you should just go back into the world where you can get that temporary gratification that Satan's been tempting you with. But I'm here to tell you right now, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. In other words, God said, don't you get tired of doing the right thing. Because if you just hold on a little bit, learn to endure and tarry in prayer. Have faith in me. He said there's a promise with your name on it. There's provision with your name on it. Oh, praise the Lord. He says this, if you faint not, don't go back into the world. Don't let Satan draw you back into that miry clay. There is a promise with your name on it. Oh, praise God. There's a promise with your name on it. In the book of Matthew, we we find uh, the death of John the Baptist. Jesus loved this man. So when he hears of his death, he goes into a desert place alone to try to to weep and have that, that, that grieving process, I imagine. But the multitude followed Jesus. And the day, the Bible says that the, the, it was bego- it's coming dark. The, uh, there was, uh, the end of the day was nigh. And the disciples, watch this, they come to Jesus and said, It's getting dark, Jesus. The people are hungry. We need to send them away so they can go back into the village to get their victuals. This this is what they're proposing. Jesus, they're hungry. And we've got to let them go back where they came from to find their food, to get their strength. We've got to let the people leave your presence, Jesus, to go back where they came from. Watch what Jesus tells them in Matthew 24 and verse 13. Uh, I'm sorry, but Matthew 14 and verse 16. It says, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. This is powerful. When the disciples proposed to let the, disciple, to let the multitude go back to where they came from to find their strength, Jesus said, Don't let them leave my presence hungry. Can I tell you, it is the will of God that every time you come into his house, every time you hit your knees in prayer, every time you open up the word of God, it is the will of God that you do not leave hungry. It's not the will of God that you still leave wanting something or needing something from him. But it's the will of God that you leave his presence full of his spirit, full of courage, full of boldness, full of everything that you're going to need to get you through your day. 
He may not answer all your prayers. He may not do what you want him to do. But he's going to give you enough to get you through. Amen. Don't let them go. They need not depart. Give thee them to eat. Watch this. In Matthew 15 verse 32 we have the multitude again. Bible says Jesus called his disciples unto him. He said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days. I have compassion on my people because they have not given up on me. Because they've learned to endure and tarry in my presence. Watch this. And have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. That word faint is the same word that Esau used at the beginning of the Bible. And Jesus said, I don't want my people to become like Esau. Because I know that sin lieth at the door. I know that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It is the will of God when you're in his house and in his presence you leave full of his spirit oh somebody praise him right now it is the will of God you leave full you don't have to walk out those doors lacking the same thing you did when you walked in Oh, help us, God. I don't want my people to become like Esau, lest they faint in the way. He said they were with him for three days. And then they received their miracle. Can I tell you, on that first and second day, they were probably hungry. There was some murmuring probably amongst themselves. That there's a local diner there in the village that's got a special going on. There's something out there in the world. They say it's nice. They say it feels good. Maybe we should go back into the village. Maybe we should leave the presence of God and go back into the world. But if they would have left his presence on the second day, they would have been one day away from their miracle. You may be weary and you may be tired but what if I told you this morning you may be one day away from your miracle. What if I said you were one worship service one altar call, one prayer meeting away from receiving everything that you've been praying about. You may be one altar call away from seeing your loved ones run to this altar. You may be one second away because sometimes in our walk with God you've just got to learn to wait upon the Lord because those that wait upon the Lord shall, not maybe not probably, but shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles and they shall run and not get weary and they shall walk and not faint if you learn to wait on him, learn to tarry in the presence of the Lord, he says you shall renew your strength. You'll run and not get weary and you will walk and you will not faint. And so many people have fainted 
in this world. I've seen it over my life. So many people have fainted in the presence of the Lord. If Esau would just have came a little further, the Bible says Jacob dwelled with the tents, which means he wasn't far away from the home place. If Esau would have waited a little bit longer, we don't know what was waiting for him when he got home. There could have been a whole meal ready for him in the presence of his enemies right there at the house. But he fainted in the way. If we just wait on the Lord. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, such as is common to man. What you're dealing with, someone else has fought before. What you're going through, God has dealt with before. But the next words are, God is faithful. I just want you to seek that in real quick. I know there's people that says you can count on me. There's been people that's promised you that they're there when the going gets tough. You can call on them and they'll be right by your side, but they've let you down. Or maybe they've stabbed you in the back. Maybe you've been let down time and time again. You're scared to let yourself go. You're scared to put those walls down. But when God says he's faithful, that means that I'm going to be there when things get rocky. And when there's a storm in your life and you're going through the valley, God says, I'm going to walk you through the valley. I won't give up on you. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. Watch this. But will with that temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. This is a revelation for me. But I'll see what it does for you. I read this verse time and time again, but one time the Lord spoke to me when I read this verse. And basically what it is, is that we all have faith in God. We wouldn't be here if we didn't. Every one of us have a certain measure of faith, the book of Romans says. But according to this scripture, if you're going through something, if you're enduring a hardship, if you're enduring a valley at this moment, God said, I'm not going to bring you to it if you could not go through it. But here's a revelation. Not only do you believe in God, but God believes in you. If you're going through something, that means God allowed that means God allowed that into your life not to defeat you, but to bring you victory. If you're struggling this morning, that's God saying, I have not given up on you. I still have faith in you. I believe in you. How blessed are we, church, for God to look down and say, I have faith in you. This whole world may give up on you, but God says, I believe in you. You're dealing with something that's a little bit bigger than you, and it's, it's the greatest thing you've ever had to endure. I say you're a blessed man and woman of God because God has plans for your life. He's allowing that to bring something out of you you did not know that was there. The children of Israel thought that the giant Goliath was brought into their life to defeat them. What they did not know was they were one stone throw away from victory for 40 days. God allowed Goliath in their life not to defeat them, but to bring them victory. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Our flesh and Satan has some things in common. I'm almost done. Because they're both temporary pastor. They know they have a certain allotted amount of time on this earth. One day this body will be dust. 
One day Satan will be cast into the pits of hell. So they want to garner as much as they can while they can. I want all the temporary satisfaction I can get right now. And if you let your flesh and Satan become friends, they'll be inseparable. They'll love each other. Because Satan's offer is, give me the eternal. Give me that birthright. And I'll give you the temporal. Trade your eternal salvation to me. I'll give you all the temporary satisfaction you could ever want. But I'm thankful that God in His abundant mercy and grace, He looked down and He said, I'm not satisfied with that offer. Justin, you do not have to deal with that offer. You do not have to settle with what He has on the table for you because God in His abundant mercy and grace robed Himself in the flesh, walked this earth, and Jesus died on the cross so that you and I can have salvation with Him. Romans says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, a holy, acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 3 and verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When they asked him, what shall we do on the day of Pentecost? Peter said in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and unto your children and as far, all, as far off as many as the Lord our God shall call. His offer is if you just give me the temporal Repent of your sins. I will forgive you. And I will wash them away in baptism in my name. And when you come out of that water, he says you will be a new creature. And all things will pass away. And all things will be made new. And when you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, I'll give you something that Satan could never give you. Amen. He'll give us the eternal for the temporal. And I'm here to tell you that you have a choice here this morning. You do not have to settle for what Satan has even given you. You don't have to settle for what this world has offered you because God loves you. He's still in the redemptive business. You don't have to walk out these doors the same way that you came. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, it is one of the most beautiful things you will ever endure, you'll ever see. It is one of the greatest days of your life to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the living God dwelling inside of you. Praise God. Praise God. Musicians, if you'll come, I'm coming to a close. It's easy to say, I don't want the temporal. I want the eternal. But what are you going to say when you leave this place and you get a little tired and you become a little faint and then Satan brings those lies into your life. This is the end. You'll never make it back from this. You might as well just quit and give up. You might as well just end everything. What will you say then? I'm thankful that I can say, Satan, I'm not interested in your forbidden fruit. I have something that is full, joy unspeakable and full of glory.
You'll never know what it feels like. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, powerful portion of Scripture. Here's Paul writing. It sounds like a contradiction, but watch. Here's the, watch this. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. I, I'm confused, but I'm not in despair. Watch this. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I'm cast down, but I'm not destroyed. How are you able to say those words, Paul? How are you able to put those words on a piece of paper and truly mean them? In verse 16, watch this. Here's our answer. Watch this. For which cause we faint not. This is why I don't give up, Brother Shostrand. This is why I don't quit. But though our outward man perish... He says the inward man is renewed day by day. Because I have the Spirit of God. I may be dying on the outside, but I'm more alive than I've ever been on the inside. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's only temporary. Worketh far for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Here's the answer. Watch this. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He said, I keep my eyes on Jesus. I don't look at the forbidden fruit. I don't focus on what Satan's offering me. I, I don't dwell upon the sins of this world. I keep my eyes and my mind upon Jesus. Praise God. I, have, I knew a man that was raised up in a church just similar to this one apostolic to the core received the Holy Ghost at a young age baptized in the name of Jesus his family raised him up in church pastor but in his teenage years he slipped away he fainted and he lived his life full of drugs and sin and alcohol he derived his income by the by uh, this distribution of drugs. He was a drug dealer. In and out of prison my whole life. And the last time was one too many. They gave him 25 years to life. I know this man because he was my blood. He was my family. His three children wanted nothing to do with him. His family completely cast him away. They had written him off. And while he sat in prison, I would write him. We would write back and forth. I would encourage him and show him love. And we'd talk about Jesus. The last letter he wrote me, he gave me a poem. He wrote me a poem. And I would like to read that to you this morning if you'll allow me. This is from a man that lived his whole life living for the temporal things of this world. A man that knows more exactly what I'm preaching about this morning better than anyone. 
In his words, he says, I let myself down without a doubt, drinking and drugging like a water spout. I could not see where my life was going, but my pain and fear were steadily growing. I got to the point that I did not care. All of my money went up in the air. There's many a day I thought I would die, living my life lie after lie. To be an addict, there is no fun. Being chased by a drug, always on the run. There's no place to go when the devil's your ride, when you're with those friends and getting high. You'll awake one day, those friends will be gone, but the devil's hook will still hang on. I have learned some things being in jail, looking at my life from this little cell. What the devil gives, he always takes back. But I thank God He takes up our slack. I called on Him and He set me free. He gave me salvation and promised eternity. If you, he, every told, he told me every promise I will keep. If you follow me, your path won't be too steep. He cleansed my soul from all unclean. And He gave me love I have never seen. If you are out there, Call on Jesus' name because there is no future in Satan's game. He died a year later of stage 4 colon cancer after writing that letter to me. And God in His abundant mercy and grace saw fit that this man in his last few months of his life they set him free from prison. He went home. He was reconciled again with his children. And two, wait, two weeks before his death, I was in Texas. My family was in Louisiana. They gathered around him to pray. And I received a phone call, my mother telling me that Tony prayed back through to the gift of the Holy Ghost in that prayer meeting. Praise God. My wife and I attended his funeral not long ago. And there were tears in my eyes, rolling down my cheeks. But pastor, they were not tears of sorrow. They were tears of joy. I was not crying about what he did his entire life. What I was crying about is what he did at the end. When he traded the temporal for the eternal. Would you stand with me this morning, church? Praise God. Praise God. This is not a collective thing. This is an individual decision, individual moment for you. I, the worst thing we could do is leave this place without having an encounter with Jesus. Life is but a moment. Life is but a blur. Solomon, all his wisdom and all his glory and all his riches says everything is vanity. It's nothing. Jesus 2,000 years ago he did not look at that cross and dread that long and faithful journey to Calvary he didn't look at those nails and regret the agonizing pain that he was going to feel as they were thrust through his hands and through his feet he didn't sit there gasping for breath on that cross 
wishing that he had changed his mind for six hours. I read this yesterday. You read the Bible and in the Gospels, the Bible tells you in Mark that they offered him wine mixed with myrrh on his way to be crucified. It was custom in those days that the women would minister to the people before they were going to be condemned and crucified. They would mix this wine with this myrrh, Dr. Sostrand, because it was a type of medicine. It would help alleviate the pain so they would not have to feel the full force and the full weight of this death and this pain and this agony. And you read the Bible, Jesus refused. He refused to alleviate the pain. I'm going to endure this with a full conscience. I decided to be here. For this cause came I into the world. And then when he was on the cross, they offered him vinegar or sour wine. And that vinegar and sour wine, they would give them this on the cross, not to alleviate the pain, but to quench their thirst so they would stay awake longer so it would prolong their pain. And Jesus gladly partook of this. When most would gladly receive the ointment, the, the myrrh, to alleviate the pain, Jesus said no. And I bet when they're on that cross and they're just begging for death, I don't want that sour vinegar, that wine. But Jesus said, give it to me. Bible says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How do you get joy in all that pain and all that agony and all that suffering? It's because Jesus never focused on the temporal. His eyes were always on the eternal. And it was there on that cross on that fateful day that Jesus Christ died. He gave his temporary body on that cross for the eternal salvation of the entire world. He died for you. And I'm simply telling you, I'm pleading to you, you do not have to leave the same way you came. If you need a healing touch this morning, it's here. If you need to be refilled with the Holy Ghost, you've never received the Holy Ghost. It's free. That price was paid at Calvary. They're not going to charge you thousands upon thousands of dollars to get close to Jesus. His presence is here right now, and He desires to have you. Would you make your way to the front with me this morning? Would you be willing to give the temporal for the eternal? Give him, God, I give myself away. I for forgive me of my sins. I'm going to build an altar at this place. I'm going to create an altar in my life. And I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice. Paul said, I die daily. I'm crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Lord, in your name, Jesus, we thank you for your word right now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're about to do in this place. Oh, we thank you, God, right now. 
for your presence and for your glory and for your mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, I come against the spirit of doubt. I come against the spirit of doubt and fear. And I rebuke the enemy right now. In the name of Jesus, I come against every principality, everything that would exalt itself against the name of Jesus. I speak faith in this sanctuary. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's it, that's it, that's it.